Hello, my name is Javier Grobey. I am one of the cinematographers on The Watchmen, and you're listening to Go Creative Show. Hey, everyone. My name is Ben Consoli. I am the director and owner of BC Media Productions, and this is The Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers. So today we have Javier Grobey. He's a cinematographer and director of photography for The Watchmen, on HBO, which is just an unbelievable show. And I know you guys are going to absolutely love this episode. I am such a big fan of the show. It looks so good. And uh, Javier tells us exactly how he gets it done. And of course, we have some audience questions in there as well. And that's just coming up in a couple of minutes. But a couple of things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, first of all, we have some offers from friends of the show, Open Reel. OpenReel has single-handedly kept my company alive because it allows you to do virtual remote filmmaking through iOS. And uh, you can get 10% off by simply using my name or the name of the podcast. So there's at OpenReel.com. And then Soundstripe is giving us 15% off uh, for a subscription on their website. And they've got really good music on that site. So if you're uh, in need of music, and I know anybody listening to this show probably is in need of music for their projects, 15% off simply by going to gocreativeshow.com forward slash soundstripe and then using Go Creative Show in the promo code. So some offers for our Go Creative Show family here out there. Um, I want to encourage you guys to subscribe to our Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube because we do all sorts of things on all of those uh, different platforms and uh, including... Um, among many things, we give you, the audience, an opportunity to have your question heard on the show. So definitely do that. And of course, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I want to thank MZ Education for Creatives and Post Lab, Stress-Free Collaboration in Final Cut Pro and Premiere for sponsoring the episode today. Thank you, guys. All right, let's dive right in because we have a lot to talk about. With the director of photography for The Watchmen on HBO, Javier Grobey, ASC. So I'm here with Javier Grobey, ASC, the director of photography for HBO's The Watchmen. Thank you so much for being on. Hello, everyone. Hi, Ben. So now, I know that you are one of a few directors of photography on the show. Yeah. Um, which episodes did you work on? I worked on episodes three, five, and seven. Okay. So you came in a couple episodes in, yeah. uh, and the, the look was kind of established before you jumped onto the project. Am I right? Yes. By the time I got to Atlanta and started working, uh, Greg Middleton, who is uh, the main DP for the series, had already created uh, the, the look with Nikki Cassell, the director slash producer. So by the time I got in, there was like a whole Bible and a whole look of the show that I was that had already been established. Yeah. Do you like working that way? Do you like coming on and ha kind of having a direction ahead of time? You know, it's uh, it's I guess it's always great to come in and and create your own vision. But uh, in this case, I mean the the imagery and the the material is so strong visually that um, in a way I kind of like had, had you know had had the same kind of like feeling and approach uh, to what Greg and Nikki had already created. So I just pretty much embraced it. And uh, it was pretty much what I was thinking anyway. So yeah, it was interesting that way. Now, Greg, you said did episode two. Two. 
but not the pilot. So usually, at least the way I understand it and the way people have talked about it on the show before, is the pilot sets the tone for the look of the series. Um, but you're telling me that Gregory in episode two set the look. So what what was it about the pilot? Like, what was the pilot just produced and shot independently before it was a full series? Yeah, so the, this show was very complicated in, in the way it was um, organized. Um, the pilot was shot uh, way in advance. Uh, the pilot was shot by Andre uh, Parej. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, they shot it back a few, few months before. Um, then when the show started, pre, uh, you know, getting ready to, to gear up to, you know, to, for the whole series, uh, at the same time, they started shooting the whole part of um, Jeremy Irons that happens in, in the moon in Europa. Most of it was shot in Wales. And that was shot during the summer before we got in to do main photography for the series. Wow. And, and so that was shot in advance with the main directors, uh, but with an, you know, an, an English cinematographer. I can't remember their names right now. So they shot those, those, uh, those uh, sequences there. And then when we started pre-production in Atlanta, that's when Greg came in and he kind of like, they kind of like went back to the, to the, you know, to the beginning and started creating the look completely. So a lot of the things that have, that have been shot on the pilot kind of like weren't completely with the style and with the, that, you know, they, they realized there were things that they could be improved. And so, they pretty much worked on the pilot uh, quite a bit. Uh, not because it was something wrong about it. It's just, it was just things that could be improved to, to get into the style of the show, you know? How do you describe the style of The Watchmen? Based a lot on what a graphic novel is and what this no graphic novel is. So we try to emulate like framings from the comic book, um, types of the way that uh, in the comic book and in the graphics, you, you play with volume and distance and perspective. Um, we were always trying to shoot through things, like making the, the frames interestingly busy and and uh, and complex. So it always we were always looking for that angle, you know. So it's a it's a it's a style that is you know a lot very very much um, uh, based on a graphic novel. Um, they, we had a lot of like. Uh, uh, Toys, let's say, to create an image, to play with the image, like different sets of lenses. We had a Ronin available to do camera moves. Uh, we were able to, you know, always be looking for interesting angles, uh, either really low or super high, you know, creating all this like comic book language in a way. You know? Now, at this point, I mean, we've seen, we've had decades now of comic book movie or comic books being adapted into TV shows and films. Uh -huh. So how do you, how do you maintain like that look of a comic book so that it, it feels right for the people watching? It, it feels like what it is, but then also have something fresh and different. Um, that I, I can only imagine is a bit of a challenge to kind of toe the line between the two. Well, the show has this very specific world that we portrayed because it's an altern alternate reality. It's like the comic book happens in, in the 80s and, and Watchmen, the TV show, happens in 2019. So it's not the same time. It's, uh, it's, it's, the, it's nowadays, but in a, in a reality where uh, Robert Redford is a president. Um, 
So, and the show is the way it's structured and the way it was uh, geniusly adapted by Damon was to um, talk about this, all these racial issues that we're living now, which, I mean, the show is so relevant nowadays with everything that's happening. And oh, yeah. This is like a year before. So it's just weird to know that the things that we were talking about a year before are like so prominent right now. So even though it's a comic book, it's it's not really... It's based on that comic book, but it's also like a reality. It's a real show like with all this fantasy happening, but it's it's pretty grounded, I think. So it's always not just like... It's not superheroes. It's vigilantes and it's human beings in a way, no? The only, you know, uh, super, superhuman figure is Dr. Manhattan. But even him yeah. in the show is kind of like a human human scales, you know? As, as based in reality as a comic book movie can be, mm-hmm. I feel like this is. Like, it, it, the look of it is, it's an alternate universe, yes, but it feels familiar. Like, you're watching it and it definitely feels like a lot of it is of our time right now. Right. This is what makes the show so interesting because it's, it is an altered reality, uh, but it's real, but it's like nowadays and it's, it's, it could be what is really, it's, it, could be, it could be what is happening right now, yeah. which is actually what's happening well, right now. It's, right. it's amazing because, yeah. you know, it's, it's just crazy that the state of our country now and then you watch The Watchmen and there's so many parallels and it's pretty wild. I mean, yeah. it, it must be so interesting to you and the entire team that worked on it to just see what's going on now and think like, wow, uh, this yeah. is what we were kind of shooting two years ago or whatever it exactly. may be. Yeah, for example, like the cops wearing masks, Yeah, which is what we're doing right now. It's just the, the, the image is just exactly the same as what we're living now. Uh, you know, so... Uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 1921, where the show starts, is where Trump wants to do his first rally. Yeah. Uh, everything is just so, like, intertwined. It's kind of scary, in a way, you know? Yeah, it is yeah. very, very weird. Yeah. Um, so The Watchmen takes place in an alternate reality, like we mentioned, but also it's rooted in actual reality. Um, there's a lot of yeah. it that looks very real, very now, and very mm-hmm. modern. So from a cinematography standpoint, how are you towing that line between the two? What are some of the techniques that you're using to give it that real look, but also maintain that alternate reality that we're living in? Well, it's it's many things. I mean, it's not just the cinematography, cinematographer's responsibility. It's like a, a team group. What? How do you accomplish sure. something like this? In the sense of, uh, I mean, in, when I read a script, I always like try to go deep into it and see what it is about. When I read it, I'm not only imagining, uh, you know, or, or kind of like creating images in my head of what it should look like, but also like, what is the story that we're telling? Uh, so I always like to, you know, read it and sit down with the director and go, you know, through the script, scene by scene and talking about every scene and, and what is important in that scene, what is the information that we need to deliver and how we're going to do it, how we're going to piece all the... Uh, paste all the pieces together to, to create a sentence, no? like yeah. words to create a sentence. So that's, that's important that in the beginning, no? to create a, a visual understanding, especially episode three, for example. I really liked it because it had very little dialogue scenes. So it was very visual. Mm. So every scene was planned more for their visuals. And I think there's only like two or three scenes where 
two people are talking to each other, which is when you end up like doing, you know, close-ups or stuff. But uh, yeah, yeah. But even in those situations, we're try- we were always trying to f- to find the uh, the right angle and the interesting way to tell a story. But so basically, that episode is very very visual. Uh, and so it was a it was a joy to uh, explore each scene and tell the story visually. You know, can you give an example of a scene where you maybe? Uh, you approached it in a different way or a unique way or found that interesting angle that, you know, gave it a little something extra? I don't know. The way that uh, when Lori Blake, when they arrived to the, to the hotel, to the motel in the beginning, the way we planned the, you know, the shots of the car arriving, they're getting out, walking through the alleys, getting into the rooms. Like every, every shot was planned and it had a, like like a, like a graphic novel um, aspect to it, you know, even whether yeah. it was an overhead shot or there were some other shots that they didn't use, which I was, you know, in love with that we created these kind of like long hallways and stuff like that that were really exciting. But so creating like just the exact images that we needed to tell that story or when she's getting ready to go to the um, funeral, uh, the way we did all these like insert shots, uh, you know, to, to, to make, you know, to, tell the story that she's having, she's strapping a, a gun on her leg and getting one other, you know, like, anyway, creating this, uh, this whole atmosphere. Or the beginning scene when, um, when she goes to the bank and to get that first vigilante that's dressed like a Batman character, uh, the way she walks into the, in, into the bank where we don't see her face. This is the introduction of this character. So we don't see her face at all throughout the whole first part of the scene. But we establish the characters that are in the bank that you don't know what the, what the role is going to be, but you can like see them. The guy that is reading the newspaper, the other guy that is uh, attending. So you establish all the pieces without knowing that in a second everything is going to burst, and then everybody has something to do and something to you know to to say there in that scene. So kind of like building those moments and seeing who do we need to see and how you know to create this tension and you know. So it's it's all. That's the that's the beauty part of it. That it's not it's not just that somebody tells you what's going to happen. It's like you have to tell this, the the audience that something is about to happen, but and you have to create that tension with images and with editing and with uh, you know. So that's that's the fun part of like creating the visual part of it. You know, I can tell you just love this stuff. As you're explaining <laughs> it, you're like your eyes are lighting up. I can see you get all excited. Yeah. It's great. It's it's really it's it's fun to watch you remember yeah. these moments and have yeah. a good time with it. I love that. Yeah, it's like that's you know to me that's you know not not just shooting them and and um, and being in the set, which is the most fun part of our business, except for who knows what's gonna be like after what we're living in. Yeah. Nowadays, but um, but yeah, I mean, like just creating the, all this language, and I like doing drawings, so I do drawings kind of like really badly drawn, but it's, it's a good exercise for me. And to and also to share my vision with the director. So we create storyboards of the scenes. And so it's fun to see that when you create and you put in a little piece of paper, then you see it put together in reality. And it's it's fun, you know. Oh, so you're doing your own, you're you're making your own hand-drawn storyboards sometimes. Yeah, most most of the times. I mean, if we if we need like a spe- like a professional storyboard artist. We'll get in for specific scenes where you know there's a big stunt that we need to understand so that we get somebody who's good at it. 
But sure. me myself, I just like to what, whatever we talk about the scene. I just do drawings on my on my script, and uh, and I can like present them to the to the uh, director, and you know, make, it might clear some ideas of what I'm trying, trying to talk about. And it's it's just fun for me to do it, you know, for me to I understand that. it. Yeah, I want to dive a little bit deeper into your prep process. Mm-hmm. Can you walk me through how it begins for you, starting from? I'm assuming it begins with the script gets sent to you. Well, for example, in the case of this show, because it was such a complex show and the, the graphic novel is such a complex book, uh, but, and I was not completely familiar with it, I have to say. I mean, I knew the story. I had seen the movie. I had never read this, the, this, the, the graphic novel. But so it was like, a, it took me like a while when I first got to, to, the, to Atlanta where we, where we shot, kind of like just get familiar with everything, like reading the, the graphic novel, reading the scripts, the ones that were available, um, looking at uh, the Bible uh, book that Nikki and Greg had created, all the images, all everything that was, all the images that were the inspiration, all the drawings, all the sets, you know. So by the time I got there, a bunch of it was already in, a, in, in, in process, no? in the yeah. process. So that took me quite a while to like, you know, who is this character? Because some of our characters are real characters from the comic book, but only, you know, uh, what is it, 30 years, 40 years later? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so kind of like understanding who they are, where they're coming from, and, and what every, if you know, for people who know the comic book and have seen the series, there's so many little things that are immediate re, uh, reflections of the comic book in, in our reality that, uh, some people who don't know the comic book might not catch on the moment, you know. So yeah. it's very, it's full with uh, with bits of information, and so that made it really fun to like try to incorporate some of those elements from the book into our picture. Sometimes it could be something that it wasn't just literal a literal translation from the comic book to the series, but maybe there was an image that you saw in one of the chapters in the book and it's like, oh, look at this image. This would be great for this moment. And so we, we embrace that uh, energy, you know, in, in graphically. So you get, you get your script, you start yeah. thinking about visuals. Is the next step after that location scouting or do you start working with the production designer? Like what, what if, you, if you could kind of give us the, the fundamental steps that you take from script to shooting? Yeah, on the one hand, you have the script. Uh, the production designer has already read it as well and, and maybe has already started sketching ideas of sets or, or looking at locations that he might come, uh, you know, to, to suggest to the director and to myself. So yeah. the production designer is starting to do his thing. I'm reading the script and I'm trying to, trying to break it down from my perspective in terms of, uh, uh, you know, if there's anything specific that I need to address technically, uh, whether it's a piece of equipment or a way of shooting certain part, any description, there might be something that is a uh, uh, very specific move of camera and I need to figure out what piece of equipment I need to have for that. And then yeah. on the same moment where, you know, I'm starting to work with the director and we, we sit down and we go reading the script and try to get our ideas up on the table. Uh, maybe he has things that, you know, he or she has in mind that wants to do, or maybe I bring my ideas as well. We talk about them. And then, and then the process is combining what the production designer with locations 
have in mind. And so we come out the first time and we go and see watch location, see locations. And and so we see the locations and we start once you start uh, getting concrete places like real places and that fit your image. Like, oh, I imagine it this way. Oh, this is perfect. So yeah. you can like start blending your ideas, everybody's ideas with the real, with the reality, which is the location that you get. For example, the bank in the beginning of that episode. Sure. So, so then once you start like, uh, seeing locations and, and, and choosing them, then, then it's clearer because then you start, you know, imagining everything in that space. And then, then it's easier to continue creating more and more uh, language based on that location. Yeah. So that's, that's the second part of it or, you know, the main part of it. And it might take, you know, many location scouts to find all the real locations, you know, all the, the right locations. Yeah, so the location really determines quite a bit. You can have something yeah. in your mind, but if the location doesn't allow it, it's not going to yeah. happen. Right. Or if the location doesn't exist, then we need to build it. Yeah. But, you know, that's also like a, a budget issue. Like even in Watchmen, even in any project, there's always budget issues. So maybe maybe we can't build it, or maybe it's, or maybe it's better to build it and not, you know, do the location. I mean, it's it's all... Uh, like a puzzle where between production and ourselves and everybody put together to see what is the best way to uh, what is the best way to approach it. No? We have a question from um, Motion in Reverse on Instagram asking: Was the series mostly shot on soundstage or location? Yeah, it was definitely a blend of both, and I would say a lot of it was locations. A lot yeah. of it. Uh, we use locations uh, from. From downtown Atlanta to towns outside of Atlanta as well, um, you know, it was it's a, it was a heavy location project for sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to take a minute and talk about education for creatives, which is all of us here in Go Creative Show, right? MZ is the place to go for it, and I've loved MZ well before. They were a sponsor of Go Creative Show because they always had really good, high-quality courses on their site. You know, all the information you want, all the, all the education that you need to, as a filmmaker. I'm talking about things like directing, cinematography, post-production, visual storytelling. It's all really high-quality education, and it's video-based, which is perfect for us. The courses are only as good as the educators themselves, and MZ has some excellent, top-notch educators. I'm talking about Vincent LaFerre, Shane Hurlbert, Philip Bloom. The ARI Academy is on MZ. So we're talking about really high-quality courses and high-quality educators, and that's what MZ is all about. They recently released a course all about Da Vinci Resolve, and a course from Shane Hurlbert about his film Deadfall. He actually like recreates scenes from the movie on an indie budget, which is like perfect for us. So I strongly suggest you go over there. And yes, you can buy individual courses, but if you become an MZ Pro member, you have access to their entire library, which is just huge. So check it out for yourself. Go to gocreativeshow.com forward slash MZ and see what they have to offer. I know you will love it. If you're a fan of this show, you will be a fan of MZ. So check it out yourself. GoCreativeShow.com forward slash MZ. M-Z-E-D. Talk to me about the camera package that you used for the Watchmen. 
So uh, we had the Alexa Mini and we had uh, the, the Kukes 5s, I think, mm. uh, as our yeah. main lenses. But then we also had the, uh, a set of uh, anamorphic lenses uh, and we had the tilt and swing lenses. Tilt and swing, what, what does that mean? The tilt and swing lenses are, uh, it's like these lenses on a bellows where you can change the, the plane, the focal plane of the lens so you can defocus the Oh, is it, is it the same as tilt shift? The same thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. How did I, what did I call them? You call it tilt and swing, which I never heard of. Maybe that's, is that, Maybe that's one of the ways people refer well, to it. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, okay. So a tilt shift, tilt shift lens. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. So you've had you had some of those for the for the show. Yes. Yes. So you know, so that will sometimes would help us like create a focus on two different planes at the same time, or you know, stuff like that. Because we were always looking looking to play with a uh, um, foreground and background, you know, elements. Yeah. So that was part of the style. So. Um, those three lenses were like the, the main thing. We would, we would use like the anamorphics for a certain angle or, or to create a certain emotion yeah. uh, or a close-up or something just to create something visually different, you know. You were mixing a few different formats in there. Yes. Not formats, just lenses. Well, few different lenses to get a few yeah. different looks, I should say. Looks, yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Well, the show kind of... Ha- I mean, it bounces back. The, the whole show begins with like a silent film look. And then right. there were episodes completely in black and white. And then right. there's episodes... So it's, there's a lot of different looks and styles incorporated into the series. Yeah. And that was the, the challenging thing about the show because um, every episode was like getting a script for a new movie, for a completely <laughs> different project, you know? Like, for example, episode seven is in Vietnam. It's like, how are we going to make Vietnam in Georgia? You yeah. Know? So, well, how did you? <laughs> well, <laughs> let's a, talk about it. A lot so, of, episode, so episode seven uh-huh. takes place in Vietnam. Yes. I mean, it's this, the Watchmen has a lot of individual episodes with a lot of individual looks. Yes. How did you approach creating that look that, for that episode? Well, the same. It's like choosing the location, like you know, locations, VFX, and production design together, you know. And I, I created a, a look, a specific look for the Vietnam section where it was a lot more colorful and rich and uh, just to make it look different. Because it's also we're talking about uh, Angela Barr's past. So it, it could be treated as something different. The same way that her dream is in black and white, mm-hmm. her memories. Uh, so this one was that other different reality. Um, and so the rest was like, we got a street, uh, first of all, a street in, um, I can't remember the town in, in Georgia. It was, it was a bit far from uh, Atlanta. I feel like an hour away or something. Um, I'll remember the name too. I'm sorry. My memory is terrible. Uh, so we chose a, a street that we could close for a certain amount of time for dressing, for um, to be able to like, operate everything, you know, it's a complex scene that we have an explosion and we have kids and we have tons of people. And um, so between extras, production design, uh, color, uh, lenses, I actually chose different lenses for that section. Like I I got some vintage lenses from Panavision. Um, So, so kind of like creating a different reality with, with the elements that you had. I was scared. I mean, like, how are we going to make this look like Vietnam? But it's like, you know, once you're in it and you put all the pieces together, you go with the flow, you know? 
Did you have a DIT on set with you the whole time? Yes, the whole time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it seems like you really have to because you can't just set a look, you know, throw on a LUT and be done with it. You're making a lot of changes. We had a lot that Greg created. Um, I did a little tweaking for myself because of just the way he, wor- he works with contrast and the way I work with it too. So I, uh, we, uh, so we, I adju- adjusted it a little bit. Um, to uh, sort of feel more comfortable with it. Because, uh, yeah. you know, every DP has a different way of doing things. But basically always uh, maintaining the same saturation and contrast and everything. Um, uh, so that our, our DIT was mainly, um, you know, taking care of uh, making it all uh, blend together. You know? yeah. yeah, yeah. So everything that you shot, or the whole show was on the Alexa Mini, but each cinematographer had some lens selections that they made. Not necessarily. I think the lens selection was always the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was only for that Vietnam episode that I chose to do that. Okay. Um, but all the others were, you know, with the same lenses. Yeah, the yeah. same equipment. Yeah. Did you put any um, filters on your lenses? Uh, sometimes I don't remember what else what we were doing. Um, maybe maybe I can't remember. We had some. Uh, um, some soft effects maybe or black magic. I can't remember. Yeah. I can't remember right now. But not very much, I have to say. No. We did a lot of work with like with LEDs and colors and stuff like that. Um, but um, but not filters that much. Yeah. 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 Well, let's talk about the lighting for mm-hmm. The Watchmen and your episodes in particular. Um, did you have a particular lighting you know, philosophy for the show? You know, it, it had to have some sort of like atmosphere, like some kind of like moodiness and some kind of like uh, playing in, in the darker side and making it, you know, interesting. Even, for example, the, uh, the uh, funeral scene on episode three, uh, you know, even though it was shot in the middle of the day, we color timed it way down, mm. darker and bluish, kind of like if it was like a, you know, like a weird evening or something. It wasn't really a real look for a day scene. So even those scenes were treated down and creating uh, some sort of moodiness to it, you know? Yep. Now, when you're approaching like the Vietnam episode, episode seven, are you kind of just throwing those things out the window? Are you trying to maintain some sort of consistency or does it not matter at all? I think in that specific moment, it was a completely different thing. But the show uh, asked for it. You know, the script asked for it. Yeah. So, you know, the same way that uh, on episode six, they decided to go like shoot it, shoot it all in one, in, you know, what it looks like a single shot in black and white. Uh, but because of, uh, because of, the, um, the, of what they were telling, they were telling these memories uh, that were stored in that pill that she took, all those pills... Uh, so, you know, it gave them the license to just create something completely new and completely different. And, you know, it was shot black and white in originally, well, I mean, not originally, in the, with that idea in mind, uh, with the idea that maybe the producers would not like it and then turn it back into color or something. But fortunately, it stayed the way it should have been because yeah. it's amazing. I mean, um, to me, that episode is, is a, a, a masterpiece, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I want to talk about lighting and filming main characters with masks on uh-huh. so much of a of a performance 
is in the facial expression, certainly the eyes. And yes, eyes are visible for most of these people. But uh-huh. when you know that you know, a good portion of your talent is going to be in masks at certain times, how do you approach that? Well, like, like Angela Barr, for example, she had this like non-outfit with a huge cape over her head, her face, and with like her eyes painted black. So it was like she was in a cocoon. Like it was like, how do I get light into her face? You know, so it was a tricky thing to figure out like how to light that. I mean, it was, yeah. it was tricky. Yeah. Uh, mostly her character because of the way it was. Um, the other challenging well, one Well, how did you do it? How did you, uh, you overcome well, that challenge? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess like using bounce light to get light in there, um, light from underneath, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, mostly like that. I mean, at the end, it's like, it's when you think you're going to have issues, for example, when you're, uh, if you have like a Caucasian and an African-American skin in the same frame, you think it's going to be difficult. But there's a way to like light, for example, like darker skin, I find that uh, if you bounce light as, as opposed to shooting light direct, it kind of like glow, makes them glow. So it kind of like reflects the, the light on, on, on their skin. And so that's a way to like bring it up, you know. So mm-hmm. I think I, I did a lot of that like bouncing light, you know. Yeah. To get like kind of under that yeah. hood or, or whatever it was. Yeah, to, right. to get light in there. Right. Um, and then what about masks? I mean, you're, you're working with people wearing masks. You have to film them. You still have to get performances. You still have to get um, some sort of emotion from them within those masks. Talk to me a little bit about the challenges of doing that and how you approach lighting for it. Um, I think just the same way. I mean, because, you know, the masks, you know, except for like the, the panda head, you know, which you don't really see the actor's face. But all the others are very like simple, you know, like covering. So it's not, it's not that you can't see their eyes or their expressions. It's very, it's very simple. I want to take a moment and talk about collaborative editing. Now, if any of you guys are editors out there, you know, when you're the only editor and you're working on your system, you know, by yourself, it's easy. It's nothing. You know, it's on your system. You don't have to worry about it. But when you start collaborating with other editors, that's when it can become tricky. And this is exactly what PostLab helps you with. It makes collaboration in Final Cut Pro and Premiere seamless and easy. And it's going to change the way you work in post-production for the better, for a few reasons. One, it gives you incredible access. So besides saving all your documents locally, which it does, it also syncs all the changes with your entire team, wherever they are. So you're no longer zipping up files and emailing them back and forth. And no, that's over. That is over. You also make sure that you have no broken files because two people working on the same library at the same time is an accident waiting to happen. PostLab does not allow that to happen because once one person starts working on the library, it's locked from everybody else. So there's no way damage can be done. Plus, you know exactly what people are doing across your team. It's awesome. And lastly, they have something that they call Time Machine 2.0. And it makes sense because it's kind of the next evolution of Time Machine. You can browse the history of each library. You can jump back and forth between the versions and find the particular edit you're looking for quickly. And it brings you exactly to the way you left it, down to the blinking playhead. Now, if this is a tool that you guys think you can use, I strongly encourage you go to gocreativeshow forward slash 
postlab uh, or gocreativeshow.com forward slash postlab because you're going to get three months free of postlab. Try it out for yourself. You're going to absolutely love it and it's going to change the way you edit forever and for the better. Gocreativeshow.com forward slash postlab. I want to talk about the way that you shot and lit looking glass because he had that reflective mask on. Yeah. And I'd love to know just how that whole thing was done. How did you shoot it? How'd you light it? And how did they, you know, achieve that effect in the reflective mask? Anything that I, when he was wearing, when looking glass was wearing the mask, uh, if it was a, a long shot and he was way back there, it was, it was a physical, um, a, a silver, uh, mask that he was wearing, you know, because it would, it looked just the same. But if we got into, you know, intimate with him, like close to him, or he was talking to somebody else, then he was wearing a, a black mask with uh, kind of like geometrical figures. I guess that's just to help um, map the shape of the face for, for later reproduction of the, of the actual silver okay, reflective yeah. surface, no? And then on top of that, he was wearing um, a camera in the front and a camera in the back, like a 360 view uh, you know, 180 on either side, or I think those cameras view even more than that, like super wow. wide angle lenses, one in the front, one in the back. And so whatever he was performing, anything that he was pointing at, all that information with that camera, then uh, our BFX department would pull that information and use it to reflect it on the final mask when it was created, which was wow. like a mirror, you know. I, it was a, it, they spent a lot of money on that just on that episode for that effect. Oh my god! It just just the just having to get rid of all the camera and lights to just that in and of itself must have been an incredible challenge. Yeah, because everything was reflected there, like lights, cameras, crew, everything. Besides, but they just pulled out the things that they want they wanted to reflect. I mean, it's not a perfect mirror when you see the, the yeah. face. No, it's, it has like reflections, but you can feel the other person, even if it's talking or not, or you can feel everything. But, but you're, of course, they can paint out anything they don't want to reflect on. You know? Sure. Now, did you have to make any modifications to the lighting or cinematography to allow for you know, the, visu the visual effects departments to do what they needed to do? No, no, I, 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 I lit it the same way. Um, they always come up with their, you know, their, Balls, the the silver and the and the uh, solid spheres, so they yeah. can see how the light uh, reacts in in volume, and also to see what the reflections are. So they use that information, uh, and because his face was not really going to be used because there was a mask there, so it didn't matter. Now, when he pulled the mask up, like up to his forehead. Uh, then they would create the rest of it and then, then I could see the face. So then I would just like the face as I would do in, in any situation. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a lot of visual effects work in the rest of your episodes? Like, is that, is that something you enjoy working with? I do. I mean, the, episode five was uh, a very challenging one because we had that beginning of the episode, which is the, you know, looking glass as a kid when... He is the same day where the when in the comic book the, the giant squid is dropped on Manhattan, killing three million people. Uh, and so I love that beginning because that's a, uh, an immediate reference to the comic book. Like, yeah. So that 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 was super fun to do and to create. I mean, it took us 
you know, weeks and weeks with the production designer and myself to figure out the layout for the fun house with the mirrors and how we we're going to shoot it, how we we're going to avoid camera reflections, you know. So it took, a, you know, making little models and playing with shapes. And uh, we even brought in, you know, we finally ended up shooting through, um, you know, see-through mirrors. Mm. So we placed a couple of them like portals on our set so that we could put the camera through and shoot through it. Of course, it had a, uh, a weird thing because shooting through that glass is like almost like if you put like a chocolate filter on the camera, it's really, really brown. So yeah, all yeah. of that had to be factored out uh, when we did the final coloring. Um, but so just planning that was a challenge. Uh, and then, of course, that the end of that scene, which is where the camera pulls away from uh, our character's face and then that blends into this animation, this CG world of Manhattan where the camera pulls all the way back to reveal the, uh, the squid. You know, that, that was a lot of work together with VFX, special effects, camera rigs, and myself and everybody to, to accomplish it. Like, what was the direction of the camera? What piece of equipment I had to use to do that? You know, we used like a cable cam. We had to like, Turn the set. You know, in the beginning, the production design had already the layout of the fair on this street that we were allowed to in um, uh, Newnan, I think, was the town. Uh, and so when I got there to see, there were so many cables, you know, electricity cables. And I said, you know, it's going to be impossible to do this with a cable cam. We need to have clearance to put that cable up. And I said, is it possible if we swing the set around 180, put the, the, the phone house instead of on that end of the street, put it on the opposite? And it kind of like threw everybody off like, well, we already decided this way. And it's like, yeah, but you need to help me out with this. So, so they finally turned the set around 180. And I think it, it worked okay. You know, the way we shot it, it, it doesn't really matter. And yeah. that gave us the possibility to install this huge rig, oh to God. have the camera fly over everybody dead on the ground. And then that movement, then uh, giving, giving the VFX team like enough of that shot so that they could blend it into their animation, you know? And it was super fun. I mean, that show is fantastic. That's got to be so much fun working with so many visual effects like that yeah. and really making a scene and collaborating with a whole team that you yeah. just wouldn't be able to have that shot otherwise. Yeah. We got a question here from Twitter um, from Jaden Marvel asking about blocking. Um, now, he's specifically asking about episode six, which you didn't work on, so you can't really talk to that. But I think the question here is just in general about blocking for maybe challenging scenes like this? Like, how, what is your approach to blocking some of the scenes that you've worked on? And maybe you can just isolate one scene to reference. But I think just what's your, what's your approach to blocking? Um, as I said before, it's like a lot of it is the planning on how you're going to tell the story. Mm. Uh, but let's say, for example, um, let's, let's go back to that scene at the fair. You have all the elements and you have the location and... Um, for example, um, there was a church on the background. And so we're trying to figure out what is the best direction to bring these kids into the fair, introduce them to this reality of sinners, you know, like it's yeah. in that episode. And then how do we go into the fun house? So what is the best way to approach all of that? So we can like map out on location what the route could be. And then, you know, when, when you find things uh, that can... Um, you know, you read the script and you know that this guy is also like, has this, this kind of like uh, AA group for people who were in the blast in 1985 or whenever that happened. No? 
remember he goes to that church and he has this group. Yeah. Um, so I remember there was that church on the on the story, no? And and so when we got to locations at the fair, I saw that there was a church right there. And it's like, oh, perfect. Why don't we start on the church as the as the school bus comes into frame, and then we pull back and reveal these kids coming down into the fair to like talk to the sinners, you know? So kind of like all the elements start to 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 get into place. So I thought it was an interesting idea to start, even if nobody really catches it. I think it's it's like, why do we start with the church? Well, something something has to do with that little piece of information later on, you know? Yeah. So I kind of like visually and and um, you know when you when you see the script and you see that it's like an introduction into this world. So then you with the production designer, with the director, we try to plan the blocking in a way that um, goes along with the with what is scripted. No, like if it says like you know the kids start to see all these people and the description of these people, what they're doing, and they're they call sinners, you know. So then we know what how what how to proceed in the space, you know, to find our characters. Um, so that's all those elements are put together to to accomplish a, a blocking scene. I mean if it's something simple, I mean even like even two characters in an apartment has its yeah. uh, its tricks. For example, when the senator comes to Lori Blake's house in the beginning of episode three, uh, you know, the way she opens the door, the way he comes in, the way he goes back to the owl in the background and she's serving a glass of water in the foreground. Like every every little piece was was planned, you know? How we're gonna, you know, she carries the, or when she comes into the apartment with a, with a mouse, carrying the mouse to feed the owl that you don't see yet. You know, every shot was planned. Every, every movement was designed, you know, in advance. Uh, but, you know, once you see the location or the set, in that case, I was the set, um, then you start playing with your space. I mean, cinematography is, is like architecture in a way. It's like, it's like finding the spaces and finding the angles and finding the perspectives and finding the, the, how the light interacts in a space. So it's funny, but uh, there's a lot of relationship on with, between the way you approach a scene in a location or in a set and the way you admire architecture, you know? It sounds like you had a lot of creative freedom on the show. We did. But, but again, it was, it was scripted. It was, you know, it, they, we, were, we were like pushed, let's say, to, to get creative because that's what the show was asking for. And that's what Damon was asking for. And that was the sh- what the show was asking for. So that was the fun part of that show. Well, the show is absolutely fantastic. It's called The Watchmen. It's on HBO. All episodes are available now if you guys are HBO subscribers. Um, I want to end our episode with a little bit of a discussion about just your past. Um, uh-huh. You know, you're from Mexico. Uh-huh. Uh, eventually transitioned to the U.S. for work. Tell me about that. I mean, were you working as a cinematographer in Mexico or did you come right to the U.S. to begin your career? No, I started... Uh, I went to film school in Mexico City and I started... My career there, um, I did a lot of, back in those days, I did a lot of, uh, not a lot of, but some camera assisting. And I actually ended up being the focus puller on Total Recall. With I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> it's funny. When I went to your IMDb yeah. and it says like uh, known for, and I uh, saw Total Recall there, I'm like, did he shoot uh, Total Recall? How is that? I <laughs> wish. <laughs> My God, what a great experience that must have been. Yeah, that was, that was like a super highlight, you know. Um, you know, I, I started first uh, as a second assistant and like a month into the movie, 
Annette, uh, who was Yost's uh, partner and the operator, I mean, the first assistant, she moved up to operating and they invited me to become the, the focus puller. So, and yeah. Yost Bacano said like, we're going to give you a chance. If, we, if, you, if you can do it, you stay. And if you screw up, and we're in, in, then we'll go back to the, the other configuration. But never happened. So I just stayed there. You know. Yeah. I think I was a, fo- a, good, fo- a good focus puller, I think. <laughs> <laughs> do, is, that, is that the way up, do you think? I mean, do, is that the way in for new, you know, new young kids out there that re- want to get into this industry? Are they... Should they be coming in as a camera assistant? What What do you think is the best path? And I know it's different for everybody, but what do you think? Well, I think you answered it. I mean, it's it is definitely definitely different for everyone. Uh, I think you find your own path and you create your own path. I mean, there's people who never assisted and they're amazing cinematographers. There's people who came in through being gaffers. Uh, some people who came up the ladder from you know loader operator, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, I guess the only, I guess the, the my, my, uh, my suggestion is, is just take all the opportunities that you can, that present, you know, to yourself. Like if you want, if, 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 if they offer you to, if they offer you to do something, do it. Like yeah. don't, don't doubt it. And if you don't know it, learn it or just say yes. You know, I, I remember my dad saying when he was an architect and, you know, when he first started his career, um, he got some project and, you know, he didn't even know how to do it. He just said yes. And then after he, after he said yes, he got the job. Then he started, you know, looking for people who knew how to do it, you know? Oh my God. That so. is, is that not the best way? It really is. I mean, yeah. you got to just say yes and figure it out. Yes. Yeah. Because no matter what, I mean, if you look at it, if you think about it, uh, it's pretty much the same as like doing Watchmen. Like, okay, here's the script. The camera flies. I don't know how to do that. Well, let's find out. You know, yeah. so it's kind of like the same process. You have to like find a way to do it. And, and you can always call and ask, you know, research or read or, you know, there's all these uh, resources out there that you can just, you know, figure it out somehow, you know. For me, I think the, the, the telltale sign that someone is... Uh, is at the beginning of their career or not, or, or that they don't even necessarily really have a great handle over what their career is, uh-huh. is when they think they know how to do everything. Like yeah. when I'm working with someone and they tell me, I don't know how to do that, but I want to learn and I know exactly the right person to call to figure out how to do it. Right. Then I know I'm working with someone that has been through challenges before. They've right. seen things before. They've, right. they've overcome stuff. Like, I think that is the best thing for young cinematographers is just yeah. don't pretend you know everything. Like admit that you don't, but show the person that you're talking to that you're uh, that you have the the uh, the the will to yeah. figure it out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's we all go through situations. I mean, the first scene on episode five was this. Um, um, how to say this? Uh, Research group. How do you say research group? No. Um, research group. Yeah. Yeah. So this scene where you know they're they're interviewing these uh, people about New York and you know kind of like making a like a questionnaire on uh, on a research group. And um, I remember we did the research. That was I don't know for one for whatever reason we did the the, the blocking the, re- the rehearsal and that is like 
how do we start? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea where to start. And then it's like, okay, well, um, I don't know. Let's put, put the camera here and put the other one there. And, and so, you know, sometimes it's very clear what you, can, what you are going to do. Sometimes you don't have, have it clear. And so you start building it as you go, you know. But yeah. I guess not being afraid of sometimes saying, I don't know. Because, you know, you're not God to know everything. So sometimes you don't know it and it's like, okay, let's just figure it out. You know, some people get nervous when I said that moment, like, I don't know. It was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You know, it was like, don't worry, we'll figure it out. I'm just being honest. I don't know. (laughs) Exactly. I love that. I love that. Any (laughs) advice for, you know, new filmmakers out there listening that, you know, look at your work and really are aspiring to do that level of cinematography? Keep on watching movies, keep on watching art, uh, Mm. pay attention to every situation that you walk into. Uh, Look at the light that comes through your window. Uh, Look what happens when you turn on this light or the other. A lot of museums, a lot of museums, you know. Look at art, look at pictures. Uh, You know, just be be inspired with anything, like the way a, a, a tree moves with the wind. I mean, anything is an inspiration. Because, you know, it's, it's light, it's motion, it's, it's poetry. Um, so just be open to, to all, this, all your senses and, and try to take it all in. I, I say that because I could have said also like, you know, take all the opportunities and do your best and learn this and learn that. But that's... Well, that's a given. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, so... That's a given. Why not um, just go and explore your life? Well, you mentioned architecture a few times in this interview, and then uh, you just revealed a couple minutes ago your father was an architect. Right. So that, I mean, I love an architect's approach to space. Like, I Uh think coming at cinematography, thinking about locations with some architecture experience, not even experience, but just appreciation, is crucial. And um, I love that you mentioned it a bunch of times, and it it had to have been because it it was in your home. It was in my home, yeah. I actually went to architecture school for like a semester and then and then I and then I said no this is not for me you know and then I quit and I went to film school. Well what did you pick up from that semester? There must have been something that you took with you. I think more more from that semester I would say more from uh, just working with my dad and seeing what he did and going to his you know his construction sites and stuff. So yeah. But yeah I mean it's just like learning about the way you appreciate architecture, the way you're saying it, like the way you understand, you know, see, I love going out to see places and going to spaces and see what they feel like and see how, how they are lit naturally, you know, and yeah. so that's where you learn from. And, and I have the sense of what a space is. I mean, how do you move in a space or how, what, how do you understand this space that you're working on? Um, what are the, the, the right angles? How does it have an impact depending where you put your eye, you know? Yeah, I love that. So, yeah, it's it's working with volume and light and 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 depth and you know so all these elements that we're we're using on cinematography the same way. All right. Well, thank you so much for being on Go Creative Show. Of course, guys, you know the show, The Watchmen. It's on HBO. And if you're not a subscriber to HBO, what's wrong with you? There's so much amazing content on there. Come on now. Um, so you have to go on there. You got to watch The Watchmen and all other things on there as well. Um, Javier. Thank you so much for being on. Where can people go to find out more about you? Are you on Instagram or Twitter? Where are you? If you go XMEXDP, that's my website and my Instagram. 
XMEX, X-M-E-X-D-P on Instagram. So you can check out his work there. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes as well. So Javier, thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much. All right. I want to thank Javier Grobey for coming on Go Creative Show and talking to us all about Watchmen. I know I learned a lot. And if I'm learning something, you're learning something. We're all learning something. And that's the whole point of Go Creative Show. I also want to thank our sponsors, Post Lab, stress-free collaboration in Final Cut Pro and Premiere, and MZ, Education for Creatives. Without these people, the show wouldn't exist. So please support those that support us. I also want to thank the -the behind-the-scenes team making it all happen, our producer, Connor Crosby. You can find him at ignitionvisuals.com. And Matt Russell, who mixes and masters and makes the show sound so good. You can find him at gainstructure.com and on Twitter at gainstructure. And while you're on Twitter, follow us. In fact, follow us everywhere. Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all over the place. And subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And on that note... We're going to see you next week on another episode of Go Creative Show, a podcast for filmmakers.